When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You listen to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings America's number one sportsbook app. All right. Now joined by Matt Muehlbach, the silhouette of Matt Muehlbach. But you know what? I can tell you by the second Matt starts talking that, guess what? That is Matt Muehlbach. Hello, Matt. How you doing, Mike? I'm in uh, I'm in Salt Lake City. I don't know if you can see my, my uh, snow-capped background. I was going to say, man, it looks like you're slumming it up there. The Wasatch Mountains, I believe it is. Right, dude. Yeah, for sure. No, looks uh, looks good. Looks good. I'm uh, I'm I I, I don't uh, I'm envious of where you are at this point. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So let's. All right. Well, first, Matt. Um, Arizona. We got a lot to get do with Arizona hoops. Obviously, Arizona is back in the uh, well, back on the winning side. Pella Larson comes in, and um, our Pella Larson comes off the bench, and there you go. There you go. We got a little bit of Matt right, right. there. A little bit of something. <laughs> Um, Pella, yeah, there you go. Pella Larson is uh, comes off the or uh, is now coming off the bench. Cedric Henderson starts, and Matt Pella just looks totally different. He looked more like the guy we saw last year. You know, when you were playing, were there times when guys were just like that, where they were just a little bit better coming off the bench? Yeah, and you know what's what's interesting is he played the same amount of minutes he would play if he was a starter. I think he played thirty minutes, and so. Right. You know, but but just the feel of it was different. It's almost like if you and I were playing a two-man scramble and we were we were, you know, bogey and everything, and I was teeing off first and you were second, like, hey, let's switch it up. You know, right. Sometimes you just need to do that. And and so first of all, some players are better like that, right? They feel more comfortable, more at ease. I'm trying to think if we had anybody like that in the day. Um some guys I, just embrace it though. Like you look at a yeah. guy like Jason Terry. Exactly. That's a great example, right? He's I mean, won a national championship because he would come off the bench. I'll tell you that, okay, the best example I have of a guy coming off the bench is Andre Iguodala when Steve Kerr first got the job at the Golden State Warriors. I think Andre had started every game in his pro career, and it was a shock to his system that right. Steve decided to bring him off the bench. But the reason he did is he said, hey, we need some some ball handlers, some playmakers on that second unit. And, and I'll tell you what Steve did. It was the same thing that Tommy Lloyd did. Steve communicated what he was going to do and why he was going to do it. And a lot of coaches don't do the why. They tell you, hey, I'm going to come off, you're going to come off the bench. They don't tell you why. And Tommy, you know, told them and told them why. And um, and I think that's the key. You got to know that as a player. And and I think for whatever reason, you know, it just it clicked with them. 
Yeah. So I watch this team right now, and obviously the strength of this team is in the front court. Azulis Tabellis gets 17 rebounds last night. At this stage, Matt, we're looking at a top three to four to five individual big man season in U of A history. Yeah. And, you know, we've had a, we've had some um, some some conversations about him at the next level. And I think I'm probably higher than most people at him at the next level um, because of what he's done at this level. I was actually talking to a coach yesterday um, who told me, he said, I hear some stories about Tabellis not making the NBA. He goes, I, I shake my head because he's like, he's like the hardest guy in the league to cover, <laughs> you know, like right. you can guard him. How does a guy that's the hardest guy in the Pac-12 to guard not make the NBA? But no, he's having, a, he's having an amazing year. And we've talked about this before, like the consistency that, that, so I, I, to me, there were two things he needed to change this year. Everybody said, of course, if he can shoot the three, well, he's got a ways to go before he's that player. And I didn't right. expect just in one off season, he becomes, um, you know, this incredible big man, three point shooter. What I thought the first thing he had to do was just become consistent, which he has. And I think the second level for Julius Tabellis is to become a monster on the glass. And that's what we saw last night. We have not seen him this year become a monster on the glass. He's been a good rebounder, very good. But I mean, a guy that's a, you know, DeMontis Sabonis. Because mm-hmm. that, that's his, that's his, like, that's the guy he wants to be one day. Um, and look, the three-point shot, the shooting, that can still come. He's still got that. I mean, he's still got – I think he has, he has ability around that, and he's got time to do that. So pretty proud of him for what he did on the rebounding uh, part of it. Okay. Yeah, and you played, obviously, with the GOAT, Sean Elliott. And what does that mean when you go into a game knowing that, you know what, even if this guy doesn't play his best game, he's still going to probably get you 20 points, seven rebounds, three, four assists, something like that. Yeah, it's it's – well, what it is – is for the team, it's it's the outlet. I mean, it's it's the one guy that's that – I was going to say X-Factor. It's not X-Factor. It's just you know you've got – you already are kind of a leg up on the competition when you bring that in. And by the way, I'm probably getting ahead of you on this. No, Matt, you're never getting ahead of me. You're always – well, you'll always be ahead of me, so go ahead. <laughs> How incredible is the Jaime Jaquez, Azulis to Bellis matchup going to be because – and you and I have had this conversation about Magic Johnson and Steph Curry. They both mm-hmm. can't guard each other. Right. They're both two of the greatest point guards ever, but they can't guard each other. So it's, it's a bizarre matchup. Nobody can guard Hawkes. And Tubelis has, I think, it probably has to guard him, but maybe not. It's going to be, I'm going to be interested to see what Tommy Lloyd puts on Hawkes. Will he put Tubelis on him? Because I'm not sure, you know, is Tubelis quick enough laterally to stay with Hawkes when he gets the ball in the wing? And goes into those array of post post up moves, and vice versa. Hawk, as you would think, has to guard Tubelis on the other end because they have no one else, right? With, at least in that starting five, that's big enough, and Tubelis is bigger than Hawk is. So, last year, last year, um, Tommy Lloyd did something that was super creative, and I thought really innovative. Also, he put Christian Coloco on Hawkins, and and nobody really believed it. Um, but he did, and that's that was one reason that Arizona was able to beat UCLA those last two games. They don't have Coloco now, and and obviously a guy like Balo is not going to guard Coloco. So I mean, guard Hawkins. So who guards him? That's going to be to me that maybe the key of the game. Other than how about the Kirk Crease Tiger Campbell matchup? Well, 
Matt, we have a very smart listening base because Rich Carrillo said, Matt, please break down the Tiger Campbell versus Crease a matchup. Tiger is a flat out stud. Tiger is one of those guys, Matt, that you don't really understand how good he is just by his numbers. You have to watch him, how he controls the game. He got, I mean, not, not nearly as good, but he got a little bit of Mike Bibby in him in that regard. Yeah, he, he does. He, he feels it and knows that. So last night, ASU had an interesting coverage on him on their, on their, on their uh, screen and roll stuff. They guarded everybody else. They really had a lot of, a lot of attention on Jaime Jaquez and every time Tiger Campbell came off a screen, they basically just what you'd call plug or sagged off of that help man, off of the big guy. They didn't really come up and contest him at all. And they gave him pretty much, you know, almost uncontested. They just gave him kind of that 18-footer. And and Tiger recognized it. He knew it was there. And he sort of took what they gave him. And he just he made almost every one of them and, and really won that game, you know, because of that. And their defense won it, too. Their defense is a joke. It's so good. Right. Um, but so Kerr Creasa, Tiger, I mean, Tiger had a guy on him with ASU, as you know, Frankie Collins. Frankie mm-hmm. Collins is an NBA body, NBA yes. athleticism. And he couldn't he couldn't check him. And and again, partly because of that coverage. I think Arizona will cover Tiger differently. I don't think they'll give him as much room after watching that tape. Um, it was a pretty good strategy that worked for a long time by Bobby Hurley because they really frustrated Jaime Hawkins. He could he couldn't get his normal looks in his normal rhythm. Um, but I think, I think Arizona will guard him different. I think they'll really play hard off of those screens. It'll test Kerr Kreese's physicality. How physical can he be when Tiger runs him into those screens? And on the other end, how physical can Kerr Kreese be when he has the ball? I don't even care about the shooting right now. Forget that. Um, Tiger and the UCLA guys will guard. So they'll guard harder than any any team that we see at McHale Center this year. All right, let's just say that you're watching a game and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'd like to be where Matt Muehlbach is at that point. That's where game time comes in. Here's the deal. You get on game time, you can get many times 60% off on tickets. That's simple, that easy. Or maybe you want to go to a concert where Matt Muehlbach is going to be at. Matt, you're a big, uh, what is your? uh, uh, Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews band. Yes. Let's say you want to go Dave Matthews. That's where game time gets it 60% off. Check out the show notes and the link in the description and four peaks, the official brew of PHNX sports. Check it out. Um, got a downtown location in Tempe, or you can come here to Tucson and get it as well at our tap and bottle watch party. Enjoy responsible or enjoy responsibly. Check out the show notes and the link in the description. All right, Matt. I've been to the tap and bottle. That was fun. That was fun, Matt, and you're always welcome. I know you're generally working on those uh, situations, yeah. but um, good time. all right, let me ask you this. I'm just going to be blunt here. You were a really good shooter. You obviously played with one of the two best shooters in school history and Steve Kerr. Are Kirk Kreese and Pella Larson good shooters? You know, um, I'll say this. Kirk Kreese definitely is a good shooter. Um, I think – you know, I think what, what maybe happened, and I, I don't know what happened this year with both of them. I'll say I think he's a really good shooter. I really do. I think sometimes he has an issue with uh, shot selection and, you know, when to take the right shot, where to take the right shot. Um, sometimes he will take tough shots, and I think that hurts your percentage. And if you take a tough shot and then you get an easy one later and maybe you're 0 for 1 or 0 for 2, well, the easy one becomes tougher than it was right after you went 0 for 1 or 0 for 2. 
Pella, I can't figure out because his freshman year, and you probably have the numbers, I don't know what it was, at Utah. 44%. There it is, 44%. So if, if he played in the Pac-12, shot 44%, he can make shots. And so then last year it went down, and this year it's gone even more. What that tells me is there's some sort of confidence issue with his shooting, um, maybe thinking about it too much. My favorite player growing up was a was a baseball player. His name was George Brett. You probably remember George Brett. George Brett, pine tar. Pine tar incident. George Brett had a saying that said, he, he's, and, it, and it applied to a lot of hitters, because obviously anybody knows baseball, how hard it is to hit in the slumps you get in. But his, his big saying was always, try easier. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Like, how do you get mentally to a point where, you, yeah, you want to make shots, but you got to get to the point where you kind of don't care about it. And, right. you know, I think right now it's just, to me, there's, there's definitely some, some mental stuff, just confidence issues there that, you know, hopefully you have a big game and you go two for three, three for four, whatever. And all of a sudden it clicks. Right. Now, Umar Ballo, Julius Tabellis, those are obviously been the two, two of the big two peak or four peaks right there who have dominated pretty much all season. The one thing, Matt, that UCLA doesn't have is a ton of size. They got a ton of athleticism. They don't have a ton of size. What would you do? What do you envision happening with both sides right there where you got Bona, you got Hawkes, and then you got Ballo and Tabellis? Yeah, you know, I think what's going to be interesting, yeah, is how, how does – Arizona, of course, wants to go high-low. They want to run their pick-and-roll stuff, get the ball into spots. Now, they do have a dim bolt Bona, uh, mm -hmm. UCLA does, who's a freshman, who's a big-time defender. And he's not as big as Balo, but he can defend him. Like right. I said, I don't – I'm going to – I'm going to – I say it almost all the time. Who – what four-man, even in the country, not in the in the conference, can guard Azulis Tabellis? He's too big. He's too strong. He's got too many crafty moves, so yeah, I think you go at, at you, you go at Tabellus a lot. Now, I think UCLA is going to sag like crazy. You know who did a really good job? I thought in terms of how they played that was ASU. Mm -hmm. When you saw a high low go into Tabellus or Balo, do you remember how fast they just swarmed? Yeah, like the whole team right. was on top of them, and I think that's what I think that's what UCLA do. The other thing UCLA does. They're so physical, Mike. They they'll push Arizona's offense out way further and under so much more pressure than they want. And so those you when you think of high low passes, if you got somebody in your face, if you're just trying to just trying to survive with the ball, it's a lot harder to get the ball to those guys. When you watch this, uh, when you watch UCLA um, and you watch Arizona. Where is Jalen Clark going to be guarding? Because he's probably the best. Well, he is. He's the best defensive player in the conference. He might also be the most improved. You and I talked about that before. Um, if you're UCLA, who are you putting him on? That's a great call. I wonder if they put him on, you know, whoever Arizona plays at the three, whether it's Henderson or 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 Pella. The thing and about that, though, I agree with you. But the thing about that, though, is it also doesn't make a ton of sense because – you're kind of those are not real offensive threats, and you're kind of putting your one best defensive player on guys that are eight right. points, nine points, something like that. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you do you lose you know that 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 huge advantage? But I wonder if he puts them on them, but he tells them to help a lot, and so mm -hmm. where you get maybe his best defensive, you know, sort of 
work and pressure and all those things is off of the help. So he's guarding Henderson, he's guarding Pella, and their their thing is, hey, if we're going to help off somebody, let's help off somebody who's struggling shooting the ball. Um, and I think he could come down and really help in terms of digging, doubling, whatever you want to call it, to Tabellus. If not, you know, I think Tiger guards Kerr. I guess they could put him on Ramey. Ramey, you know, really showed up last night, played really well. I could see that happening. To, from a pressure standpoint, um, but I think I think they might use Clark a little differently in this game, instead of an on-ball hawking defender. Maybe use him as a help guy. Right now, let's talk Jaime Hawkins because I've I've always thought, and you put this out there on Pac-12 Network that you thought that he was a little bit like uh, Luke Walton last year. I like that comparison. <laughs> um, but you watch him though, and he's kind of got the old man game where I can get my back to the basket, my butt to the basket. And I can get you off my shoulder. I can uh, pull up. There's a lot of different ways that he can hit you. And he can hit you at all three levels, which is unique. Yeah. You know, in fairness, I will I will give you the attribution. You helped me with that comp. It was, no, it was, but all, you were the one that delivered it, though. That it, takes a special man to do that. <laughs> it was a great comp. I'll tell you. And, and, and the reason it was the comp, to tell our, our listeners, it wasn't that they're the same player. It's It's conceptually how they play, right? The fact that they have room to to post up, you don't see, you don't rarely rarely in today's college game you ever see a six seven guy post up by himself and just let him go to work, right? You know, and and spin and move. And what reminds me of him and Luke is the footwork. The footwork is off the charts, and Luke Luke had an advantage because he was so big. People don't remember how how large and strong and physical Luke was. Jaime is a little smaller, but he plays with force. He plays with an aggressiveness, a right. force that's that's really exciting to watch. I mean, I, just, I love watching him, but combining that force with the footwork that he has, spinning left, right, up, down, fakes. I mean, there were a couple of plays, and, and Coloco did a great job on him last year. Mm-hmm. Great job. But there were times that he had Coloco, you know, on his heel, cycle, as they say. Yeah. I, I mean, it's going to be fun because um, it's it's – like I said, you, you just don't ever see it. I, I don't know if there's another guy in college that does it like like Jaime. You know what's great about Arizona-UCLA and why I'm so sad that this, uh, this is going away, and I know I'm speaking for you on this one as well, it's the best rivalry on the West Coast by a mile. Yep. I don't care, you know, Gonzaga's had spurts, Oregon's had spurts, all of these teams have had spurts. The one I just remember when I was growing up, every game – Arizona-UCLA was generally on CBS. A lot of times Billy Packer had the call. And I've told you this before. UCLA in the mid-90s was the only team that I ever felt during Lutz reign or like uh, that, all right, they might have a few better players than us. Never thought that way about Stanford. Uh, Never felt that way against about Oregon, SC, any of those schools. At UCLA was that only one. And yep. that's something that we're going to be losing here. But at least for this uh, this season and next season, these are going to be some pretty loaded rosters. Yeah, loaded. Um, you know, I, I always tell the story when I played 91, nine out of the starting 10 were NBA players. I was the only one that wasn't. Then I graduated, and the next year, 10 out of 10 played in the NBA. 10 out of 10. That's <laughs> – I, I, don't, I don't know if that's ever happened. Um, but – you know, UCLA also has some sneaky good players on their roster that are young, like this Dylan Andrews. Mm-hmm. He's sneaky good. Um, the kid, the, the freshman, the other freshman, the McDonald's All-American, 
uh, he's Amari just, Bailey. Amari Bailey. He's better than I thought. He's mm-hmm. athletically rebound wise lefty what he does. But no, the the history, you know, we all I've said it a million times. You know, a lot of kids from Arizona, from LA area, from Southern Cal, um, you know, UCLA. Just the history they had when Luke came in and beat. Um, you know, UCLA for the first time and won the championship. I want to say it was 86 right. was, was his first one. Um, and when it was one of those things where when Luke beat UCLA, anybody that was around at that time, that's when the rivalry started because you, you don't ever start a rivalry unless you really upseed the, you know, the, the legendary team. Right. Luke, Luke beat them in 86 and they, they were not even come close to pick to beat them. They upset him. And I, I want to say Reggie Miller was on that team, but um, that's what started it. And I think UCLA is like, what the heck's going on? I mean, it was one, it'd be one thing if Oregon State had beat UCLA at that time or Washington, who had these really good teams around the 80s. But Arizona to do it and Lute Olson and kind of the swag that Lute had, you remember that. Like, Oh, yeah. He had he he walked into Pauly like he owned the place at times. And you know what? Lute, the great thing about Lute is that Lute was so regal about his appearance, but at the same time, when Lute walked in somewhere, Lute yeah. also knew that I'm Lute Olson. That's I, right. He did a great job of being able to toe that line where, yeah. yes, I That's am right. Lute Olson, but I'm also not putting myself out there like, you know, you better right. walk away from me or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like like what you say, it's like he was he was pretty darn cocky, yeah. but he did it in a way you couldn't call him out on it. He did it in a very regal way. <laughs> Right. That's that's a great word for it. So and that's when the rivalry started. And like you said, the rivalry then I mentioned the students, of course, you know, the players, every player pretty much on Arizona from about 88 until today almost. But really for that 10, 20 years, every single one of them pretty much made a visit to Tucson and L.A. and the UCLA. So they were like one, two on so many different players. And um and so that created a pretty fun rivalry. Did you grow up? Did you, if UCLA had been on you hard coming out of high school, what's Matt Mulebach doing? Oh, I mean, I mean, I was, I was at UCLA after they redid their arena. Mm-hmm. And I was with a, a former assistant U of A coach. And we were sitting on the bench in shoot around. Kevin O'Neill? It wasn't him. It was, it was, it was a, um, Let me guess. It was one of Sean Miller's assistants. Okay. Oh. Um. And and um, I think it was I think it was it was um, it was the kid that was the, the he he was the director of ops. And, oh yeah. Yeah, and he looked at me and he's like, I mean, look, I always will say Arizona is the place to be in the Pac-12, but he's like, this like how could you not come here? Right. right. <laughs> you know, like, and I looked down and I said, you're dead right. Like. I would come here. I mean, right. I, I mean, I told them I said they didn't recruit me, but you go to you go to Westwood, and the history and the banners and there's something there. There, every you know all these arenas around the nation, especially in the Pac-12, they all have great history, but there is something really magical about being in Poly Pavilion. There really is, and you know what's weird about it too is that back in the '90s, I remember when the fan support there was was awesome. I mean, you would go in there and it would be loaded. Now, and again, maybe it's a little bit different, but there's been a stretch where you look up and you're like, "Man, what is this? An ASU game?" Like, you know, there's like five thousand people there. That's that's the part that just baffles me. 
that's the part that's different from Tucson and Pauly, right? Yeah. From LA is that, of course, they got the Lakers and the Clippers and now the Rams and everybody else, Chargers. And so they got a lot of stuff going on. They got the beach, they got Westwood, they got a lot of, they got a lot of things that, you know, can, uh, can occupy your time and mind. But in Tucson, not that we don't have all kinds of cool things and the weather and hiking and everything else we do in Tucson, but at the same time, the basketball is, is priority number one. And so the fans, that'll, that's not going to ever happen here. Matt, how would you, well, let me get a read in here. And then I'm going to ask you about how, if you're Arizona, you would attack UCLA and then vice versa, because you've obviously seen a lot of both squads, but let's say to yourself, man, you know what? I want to bet on what Matt Muehlbach is going to say. That's where you go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. You put down five bucks and you can get $200 in free plays if you bet on the NBA. All right, here's what you do. Matt's a big Warriors fan. I've been trying to uh, calm Matt down all year. They're going to be good. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Matt Muehlbach knows a lot more than Mike Luke. I'm going to go with what Matt Muehlbach says. Well, go with a little bit of the skepticism then on the Warriors until they hit it. Or you can go with me. Either way, 21 and up, Arizona only, gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Show notes and link in the description. And Illegal Pete's. Anybody that has been on campus knows about Illegal Pete's. It's the place to be. High energy, good food, good drink. Check it out. Illegal Pete's down on university. Or you can go to Tempe and root against ASU up there. Um, all right. Matt, you're uh, Mick Cronin. How are you going at Arizona? Well, I, I think he had a great quote the other day about, did you see his quote about dancing? And he said, yes. you, you, go to, you go to a dance, you can't just have one dance. You got to dance a lot of different ways. I, the first thing I would do is definitely slow the game down. They they are, UCLA is built to play a lot of different ways. And they're definitely built to play at a, a slower tempo because of how physical they play. So that's the number one thing I do. I take away their easy baskets by, by kind of slowing tempo down. UCLA will not turn it over. I, I would almost bet, like, they're not going to have more nine turnovers tomorrow. It's incredible how, how well they take care of the ball. So that's like, when, but you, when you were playing with Steve Kerr, you know what that's like, though. When you've got a point guard that yeah. literally does not turn the ball over, that does not give you extra possessions. Yeah. I know it's and it's it's frustrating because you know, you know your margin is really thin with them because you're not going to get easy shots, and and so. I think the biggest and what they're going to do, they're going to kind of they're going to come in and try to be physical and and go at Arizona physically. They did that at Poly last year. They'll try to do it tomorrow. And I think Arizona's number one thing should be on really their end. I you know offensively, yeah, they want to get out and run. They want to do these things. They want to make more shots than they've made in the last few weeks. But they better match their physicality on defense and guard and rebound like they did last night. Right. Now, if you are Arizona, then obviously it starts down low. But I think in basketball, there's kind of this misconception that just because we're taller, we can just beat you around down low. When you've got length, when you've got athleticism, and some of Lute's best teams showed that, you don't always need to have two seven-foot big men down there. There's other ways to make up for that. What are you looking for from the U of it? What are you looking at from the two peaks? <laughs> from the two peaks. Yeah, I think I think everything they do almost is touch those touch the ball's got to touch their hand somewhere in the paint, the post, high post before they get into anything. Unless it's just right off of a break, you know, you get a, you get a good look right off of something pretty easy. 
Um, but I think, again, look at the mismatch. The mismatch, Balo can, Balo can do work against Bona. I mean, I'm not, he's bigger than Bona, and Bona's really good. And getting Bona in foul trouble would be a really good thing. So I don't think they're afraid of having Balo against him, but I go to Tabellus. How are you going to guard Tubelis? I mean, right. I love Jaime Hawkins. Love him. He, he probably, him and Tubelis are, how great is this? They're probably the two top MVPs, player of the year for the Pac 12. I would agree with that. I think, and, and I don't even, and they're going to guard each other. How cool right. is that that you get the two best and they're going to guard each other? Right. I mean, and so I would, I would just go at them. And I think maybe vice versa. They're going to, if they get, if they get it. So what they'll do with Hawkins, with, with Tubelis, it'll be totally different, right? That'll be the change. Is they'll bring Hawkeyes out on the week. They'll put uh, the wing. They'll put him in one-on-one opportunities on the wing. They'll spread stuff out, get him in movements where he gets the ball and it's boom, just Hawkeyes and Tubelis. But he's going to face him up. And he's going to face him up at about 18 feet and he's just going to go to work on him. And Tubelis is going to have to be really good not to foul, move his feet. And the opposite is going to be true in Arizona. They're going to try to bully him inside, get Tubelis coming off those little screens high, low stuff, and then that quick little release he has on the lefty. And right. How, Matt, how, is, how are they going to guard him? Can I get a, can I get a game prediction from you? <laughs> you know, um, I think in this rivalry, um, I, I think the edge always goes to the home team. I just, I mean, right. I know it's missed captain obvious, right? And I like where Arizona is. I think the team that's hungrier, that's more desperate wins the game. And, I, and by saying that, my gut is that Arizona is going to be more desperate just because they haven't played well in the last two weeks. And you saw them being desperate last night. The thing I have to give Mick Cronin an unbelievable amount of credit for, what have they won now, 13 in a row? Yeah. The hardest thing to do with 20-year-old kids is keep them in that mode of desperation and you know edge and all of those things. And he, and he keeps doing it. I don't know how he keeps doing it. It's, it's not right. easy to do. But at some point, after, you know, I don't know how many games, they're going to lose a game. <clears throat> and um, it gets harder and harder to keep that desperation and and and, uh, and and mental mindset, you know, after you've won 13 in a row. Right. All right, Matt. Rich Carrillo, this is a great question. Uh, Mike, please ask Matt who the top three to four players he had to guard while at the U of A. Matt was a bulldog defender. That's a great question. That is a great question. Well, I always tell people I have a, a kind of an odd response because it's not someone I played against all the time. Of course, I will, of course, put Gary Payton in there. Mm -hmm. Gary Payton was a dog. He was mean. He was tough. He talked and he was he was just he was really hard to guard because he was so big and wiry. Um, at the time, he was not a great shooter. But the guy for me that was probably the hardest to guard was Kenny Anderson. Right. He was, he was the left, a lefty out of Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. Average about 27 a game. Yep. And he and he's a lefty, which makes it hard. He was wiry strong. He was lefties never get their shots blocked. Never. Doesn't never. happen. I know. I will say this though. I picked him at half court. Um, it was one of one of my greatest, one of my greatest things I ever did. And I had a horrible game, but um it was it was fun guarding him. It was really fun guarding him. I enjoyed it. Um, I'll tell you there was a there was a guy, and Arizona fans may remember this. And I did a pretty good job on it, but he was really hard to guard. Was Todd Lichty from Stanford? Oh, Stanford, legendary player. Him and Sean Elliott used to go at it. But that was a lot of times. You know, you see these cross matchups because superstars don't want to go. They don't, the coaches don't want to get him in foul trouble. So Lou put me on Lichty in a box and one, 
and then you know gave Elliott a little bit of a rest on defense. But I would say those three guys, Harold Miner obviously was really difficult. So, right. Oh, and where was uh, you, you mentioned oh, this? Not, yeah. Five minutes, please. Yes. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, one one last thing. Um, you mentioned this before. You obviously played with Sean Elliott, and I don't think I'm saying anything out of turn. But didn't you say the only player that you thought that when you played that was bet against who was better than Sean was Grant Hill? Yeah, I. That was the only one that I saw that had that kind of talent. Um, and I and I saw Grant Hill. I played against him in McHale in 1981. Right. He was only a freshman. And I don't think he was as good as Sean at that moment. But you could but, tell. But I could tell. He was the only guy I could tell that that had that kind of like go power. Right. All right. He's Matt Muehlbach. Matt, are you going to be uh, – are you heading back to Tucson? You got any studio work? What's going on? I'm heading back to Tucson. I got um, I got no studio work this weekend. I'm going to be in Tucson like everybody else watching the game. I'm probably going to probably going to go out to a, a you know a little establishment, maybe enjoy a beverage. My boy Matt Othick, who I played with in the 90, 89, 90, 91, is going to be in. He was in town last night. He's in town right now. So we got a bunch of fellas that we're going to be. You know, it'll be fun.